0: How you guys doing tonight? Hey, Amen. You can take your seat, and you can turn the mic as high as possible, and I'll take it out of my the offering if I break the speakers. <laughs> Could you guys just give it up? Honestly, I know it's like it's very easy to come up here and say something, you know, cliche like every evangelist says is like, oh, you know, honor your pastor and honor the house. And I know that's uh, p- politically incorrect to even say what I just said, but. <laughs> I'm not politically correct at all, so forgive me before I even start. But let's honor your pastor because he's someone who's standing here saying, I don't care what people talk. I don't care what people say. I'm going to give freedom and I'm going to give liberty for people to serve God. Listen, because there's a lot of places, there's a lot of places all over America where people are gathering under the name of Christ and worshiping pastors and worshiping men and I came in here and and as worship started I was trembling and shaking because I felt the power and presence of God not of a man not of an evangelist not of a YouTube or God TV or Reinhard Bonnke but a man who would say I'm going to open up a house and people are going to serve God how they want to serve God and how God wants them regardless of what all the religious people say and all the other churches say and the American God and the American church say, we're here tonight not to worship a person, not to worship an evangelist, not to gather around the fire of a preacher, not to gather around the latest and greatest revelation and podcast and book by Isaiah Saldvar. We came here because you are desperate for an encounter. And we listen, we have cities and nations that walk the broad road while we worship at this altar. So when we come here, we don't necessarily just come to jump, and I think what Pastor said was key earlier, a lot of times we get stuck in going to church, right? And we go to church, and it's all good, then we try to survive the world from Monday until Sunday, And we try to get by while the zombie apocalypse happens. every We don't want no one to affect us or influence us. And we go into work and we keep our mouths shut at work. We don't share the gospel. We don't pray for sick people. We don't drive out devils. We don't prophesy. And then we come to conventions and conferences and we have a real easy time praying for sick people. And this is something I've had to come into grips with for my life because I've been called to the church when I didn't really want to be. I didn't, want to be, I didn't want to be Christian. I hated God. I hated Christians. They were just bored people that liked sitcoms more than God. And I didn't want anything to do with what they were doing. And then God himself reaches out of heaven. His Holy Spirit breaks into humanity. And he changes you whether you like it or not. There's people, I don't really want to get changed. Well, guess what? You trip over a treasure. You find something. You sell everything you have for this. And some of you even tonight are going to get saved. Christians. Some of you Christians are going to meet God, and you're going to go, I've been worshiping someone for 30 years, and I thought it was Christ, and it wasn't. And here's the problem. We're going to shout in a minute, and I'll tell you why. i just get this mic as high as possible, because I like to yell a lot. Because sometimes when you talk, people don't get it, and they just sit there, and you're like, okay, i got to yell at you. And how many people know preaching and teaching is the same thing when you tell it, when you yell it? So people say, well, you're not a teacher, you're a preacher. No, we just, it's the same thing. One person yells, one person talks. It's both the same thing. One person, it's hard. Okay, you get the picture. What you'll find all over San Jose and all over this region is people that have more conviction than us. If you were to walk 100 feet from this building, you will find people that are more radical about media, about entertainment, about sports, about their careers, about their money, about their houses, about their cars, about their family, and about their jobs than we are about God. And the problem is not that they don't want this, it's that we don't want this. There's a conviction that people outside, I'm talking outside of the church, that carry, that they are willing to give everything for money. They're willing to give everything for a nice house. They're willing to give everything for a nice car. They are willing to put their lives on the line to worship Satan when they don't really know they're worshiping. But even the atheists worship something. Yet we come in the house of God and many times we look at the people dancing and we look at the people shouting and we say this, I'm not one of them pastor i love this worship and the song one of the best worship i've ever heard here tonight it was awesome but i'm just not one of them and here's my answer to you you are one of them just the god you dance to is in jehovah jireh just the god that some of us dance so we have to get out of this talk of like uh, there, there's not two camps in the church there's not two camps in the Bible. There's not two camps, and there's one camp, and there was one call, it wasn't this stream or that stream, there was one stream, and it was followers of Jesus Christ, and they healed sick people, and they raised dead people, and they preached the gospel, and they followed Jesus! They followed God! They didn't, they, there wasn't, oh, you come over here. You know the term lukewarm Christian is not biblical. Here, here's how we do in the church, okay? Because I've been all over the place and I've talked and I've seen and you guys know that I didn't get called. I didn't ask to come into the church. God called me, and all this crazy stuff happened. You can go online and watch a testimony video. It's we're not here to necessarily preach. I don't. I don't think you came for a good message. I if I would go to every single one of you, not one of you in this entire building would say you got saved for good church services. Listen, you would not say I got. Oh, I, got, I gave everything. I sacrificed. I went through trials. Guess what? Trials are normal. We preach this gospel. Oh, brother, you're going to float on a cloud, and there'll be no trials, and you'll, everything's going to be perfect, and you're going to get tons of money. That's not the gospel, and that's not good news, because when I get trials, I get confused and go, God, why are you doing this? And we blame God, but we don't ever, ever doubt or blame Satan. There's not been one moment in your life where you doubted Satan's existence, but I can name a hundred times where I doubted God's existence. And here's the problem, is that we blame God for what Satan does, and we blame Satan for what God does. That's why Jonah's off in disobedience on a boat, going, what in the world's happening? Why is this happening? And God was causing the storm. He was trying to wake up Jonah. Here's what's happened to the church. We've fallen asleep. So God comes and shakes us, and and it doesn't feel good. And it doesn't sound good. It's not pretty, and it doesn't go along with our nice sermons and our nice podcasts and books and messages. But it's necessary because what we've been doing for 2,000 years is not working. So God will call prophets and apostles And guess what happens every time the church rejects them The Bible said it got, it got really quiet when we started talking about that <laughs> Jesus told the Pharisees I sent you prophets and I sent you people And you flogged them Do you understand that the Pharisees Were just like us They were gathering, they were reading their Bible They were worshiping, they were jumping They were shouting, the Bible said they cra- traveled across the world To make twice as son of the devil as they were Which means they believed in what they were doing They were sincere, and Jesus straight up told the Pharisees, you have no clue why you're dancing. You have no clue why you're shouting, and he says, and I sent you prophets, and you flogged them. And the very, this is what I understand, the very people that prayed for Christ to return killed him. And oftentimes we pray for something, then kill it. We go, God, would you please do, oh, wait a minute, I didn't know it was going to be like that. God, would you please send revival? The pastor's calling on time. I want revival, and you don't want revival, trust me. You don't want revival. You're asking to be on the front lines of enemy territory. You're asking to be attacked by principalities and powers and spirits. You're asking to be right there, and I don't believe the devil has power. The Bible says he's as a roaring lion, which means he's not a roaring lion. He pretends to be. He's really a cat with a really loud roar. And the Bible says we're hidden in Christ, which means not hit, we're not hiding from the world, Okay? Being hidden in Christ does not mean we're hidden from the world so we don't get around worldly people. It means we're camouflaged from the enemy. The Greek means camouflage, which means when the devil comes, he doesn't see me. And you, listen, you will go through trials. And I don't plan. Usually 90% of the crimes I don't plan, which is why I get in trouble for a lot of stuff I say. But listen, you can laugh. It's okay. It's okay. We're going to breathe. Take a deep breath. We made it. Five minutes and we're still going. We're good. We're all alive. No one's burning in hell. No one's, there's no fire. No, nothing caught on fire and we're all surviving. Revival, let me tell you, isn't fun. It's not clean, it's messy, and it's offensive, and it's going to cost you everything. What does that mean for a pastor? It means it might cost him his church. What does that mean for a businessman? It means it might cost you your business. It might cost you even your family. Jesus would come to people and say, you might have to be hated by your mother and father, but that's what it's going to take to serve me. And guess what Jesus did? He would tell people, you don't want to follow me. Jesus was the worst evangelist of all time, because most of the time, we get up and go, you know, it's not hard, just say the prayer, and it's three steps, and five steps, and ten steps, and you don't have to do anything, and you just come and live how you want, and just worship once a week, and for 45 minutes, just throw $10 in the bucket, worship for 45 minutes once a week, and that's why we preach Christ died. We say, oh, Christ is in you, so you can go to church? Church. I was planning a message today, and God says, do you really think they want to hear a good message from you? You really think that's why my son came and died, so you can preach good messages and get a good honorarium and travel the world and preach about a God that you don't spend time with? Wow, what? They don't want a good message. You want God. We, when I came to God, I gave up a $7,000 a month job, a house I was about to buy, a girl I was about to marry, and all my friends, and, I, and guess what? Everything. People go, you're so radical. No, It's biblical. I'm not radical. I'm not special. This is the problem. There's nothing special about Isaiah Selder besides the fact that he read the Bible and he believed it. And it's so rare to believe what we read that when it happens, now I'm going to ask to speak with Reinhard Bonkey because I read the Bible and believed it. And a bunch of my party friends get saved and people go, well, how, listen, how did they get saved? They were addicted to drugs and we used to wake up in our own throw up and we used to do this drug and that drug and things that many of you have never even heard about. And I can't even go on to tell you the stuff we used to do. How did you get pe We met God. Listen, it wasn't lights, it wasn't cameras, it wasn't God TV. We were meeting in my house, 600 people were meeting in my house to meet God. I didn't preach good. I didn't talk good. I didn't sound good. I didn't have a good website or a good Facebook. In fact, I didn't have either. And people were coming to watch the fire and I was telling, don't just come and watch, get in it. Jesus told the Pharisees, why are you guys going to listen to John the Baptist to buy a t-shirt to buy a seat? No. Jesus asked the Pharisees. He said, "Why are you going to dance around his fire?" And and guess what? They didn't know why. They heard of a crazy man who was out in the wilderness, not to be intimate, but to get delivered from the culture. And they were going to see this man because they'd never seen anything like it. Have you ever met someone who's touched God? Have you ever met a person that got a fire on them that changed the world? I'm talking about an Evan Roberts who would say, God, I will be the sacrifice. I will stand in the gap if it takes me losing my head to see my nation. If it takes me being up eight, if it means I have to give up sports, uh uh-oh. If it means I have to give up TV, if I have to stop wasting my life. And it's not the devil selling revival. It's American Idol and the... We go... Well, the devil, people come, well, Isaiah, the devil's beating me up and I can't, I can't fulfill my call and I can't do anything for God. How many hours a day do you watch TV? Like three or four? When's the last time you prayed? Wait, what do you mean prayer? What, what, what do you mean? Like pray, like I pray for my food and I pray before bed. And our families walk the broad road. This is why when I get up here, I don't joke. It's not a joke to me. It's, it's that my, your, your soul's at stake. There's, there's people all over our city. And God's asking us tonight, are we going to jump on Tuesday morning and on Wednesday morning and on Thursday morning? Church isn't a one-week event. If it was, there'd be one day out of the week and it'd be the same every single day. And we'd have church every day. Christ is looking for your life every single day. That means when you go to work, are you Christian? What if we were Christian for a week? What if we created week-long Christians where we did this every single day? And everywhere we went, we couldn't stop talking about him. What if when someone came by us in a wheelchair, it wasn't because I wanted a good testimony to preach at church, but because my heart moved with conviction because I knew something in me can get her out of there. What if I knew there was something? I'm not just saved to go to heaven. People, I'm saved. Why? Why are you saved? Why are you saved? Why did Jesus come in your heart so we can escape to heaven? So one day he can come and escape us from the darkness of humanity and we can stand and judge the nations and watch our family members go to hell, but we're safe, brother. Or was it because there's hospitals filled with sick people? Or was it because there was orphanages filled with children who got their destinies ripped from them because of poverty spirits and principalities? Or was it because there's unborn babies in Livermore, California that are going to get their lives snatched before them if they don't meet this man? Was it to have good services? Was it to good 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 worship meetings? Or was it to know God and to make him known? You know what God told me one day? God said, I said, what if you get to heaven I don't know who you are? I came to this point in my life where God opened up these huge doors. I, like I said, I was speaking with Reinhard Bonnke a year being saved on God TV. I don't know how it happened, but I could just tell you it was God. No man can take glory. No man can take credit. God did what he did and whatever. It doesn't even matter to me because none of that matters when it comes to intimacy with God. And God said, Isaiah, what if you came before me and I looked you in the eyes and I said, I don't know you. Hold on, hold on. Back up there. That's impossible because I'm Isaiah Saldivar. And I preach with Reinhard Bonnke. And I have a lot of views on YouTube. And I have a lot of followers. And God goes, but what if I don't know you when you get here? What if if it was like that scripture Jesus said, you prophesied. You did miracles. You cast out devils. And the creator of mankind looks you in the eye and says, I don't know who you are but I went to church. And so did the devil. Paul warned us the devil's going to come in your church and preach behind your pulpits. And guess what he wears? He doesn't wear trench coats. He wears three-piece suits. Paul said there's going to be false teachers, and Jesus said they're going to be ravening wolves. You know what that means? It means starve for recognition, starve for approval, starve for money, hungry for people to say, you preached good. But Jesus looks Isaiah Saldivar in the eyes, and I want you to think about this tonight, and says, I don't know you, and I never knew you. And that word new is the Greek word intimacy. When it said Mary and Joseph never knew each other, it means they never had sexual relations or intimate, n- intimacy together. And in the same exact word, they pull it from that scripture, and he says, you did signs, you did wonders, you did miracles, you waved flags, and you dance, and you preached on God TV, and you preached at Morning Star, and you traveled the world, and I had no clue who you were. I don't know what authority you were praying for people in. I don't know what God you were serving. I don't care if you called him Jesus Christ. Jehovah Witnesses call him Jesus Christ. I don't care if you called him Jesus Christ. Mormons call him Jesus Christ. I don't care if If you worship me, people all over the world worship me and don't know me. Isaiah, all I'm looking for is for you to know me. You want to know where true power comes from? You want to know how the disciples... The the funny part, the interesting part about disciples is you'll never hear them saying, how do I prophesy? You'll never hear a disciple saying, how could I pray for sick people? How could I do miracles? How can I be popular? How can I preach good? You want them there saying, would you teach us to pray? They said, because you're doing something with the Father that we're not doing. And there's something, there's this relationship between you and the Father. And even at the end of Jesus' life, Jesus told the disciples, you don't know the Father and you don't know me. And they said, no, Jesus, we know you. He says, no. No. Because if you knew me, you know the Father because the Father's in me and I am in the Father and we are one. It was this intimacy that no devil in hell can break. It's why Jesus would spend three years on, I'm preaching way better than you're clapping, why he'd spend three years on the earth and he'd go out for 40 days in a wilderness. If I told you you had three years, you'd plan a huge crusade, you'd try to get on TV, that's what most evangelists do. And Jesus goes, I'm going to escape for 40 days and spend time with my father and fasting and prayer. And even when the devil comes and knocks on my door, and even when the powers and the sickness and every devil in hell, they can't separate me from this relationship. Can I tell you, you have something worth shouting about. You have something where it's better than a sports game or a Taylor Swift concert or a Justin Bieber t-shirt. You have something in you that can turn a nation. If we knew what was in us, we don't, we don't know what's in us. You have God, the God man breathing in you. The holy, you have billions of dollars breathing in you and we live off of 20 cents a day. If I gave you two million dollars a month, you think you'd live off of 20 cents a day, yet that's what we do in the church. In fact, most of the church doesn't even believe in God. You want to know? I know because I get asked to speak all the time as long as I'm talking with the Holy Spirit. You can speak Isaiah. Just don't talk about the Holy Spirit. Because we won't want to offend anybody. We would, we, I know, you guys get mad because you like him. Most places don't. You guys are like, what? Hitting yourself like, that's stupid. <laughs> Yet there are self-proclaiming Christians that fill America that do not know God and don't even like God, and they claim him. And he's, and you want to know why he says he's going to spit out people? because It's it, One, it makes him sick. Two, it poisons his body. The word... Vomit in the Greek means emetic. It's a word we get in the medical term if you're in medical field. It's when you... I had a friend who happened. She overdosed on a whole bunch of drugs, and they gave her an emetic, and she swallowed it, and it made her throw up to get the poison out of her stomach, and that exact word is where Jesus says, I want to throw you up because you're making my body sick, and it is time. Listen, it's not... This is not a time. Listen, when your wife's giving birth, what are you doing? Are you on the couch watching, eating potato chips, watching TV? Are you seeing where the next conference is? No, you're sitting there saying something's about to birth and I got to get ready for it. And if I'm not, re- and we wait and God is trying to change America. But guess who he uses? Christians. Christians. Real ones. Not Facebook ones. Not a man. If you went to the bar right now, guess what the bar would be filled with? Christians. If you went to the casino, guess who you'd find? Christians. In fact, when I got saved, I found out my whole city was Christian. All my friends I partied with, I'm like, bro, I met this guy, and I went to this place, and he changed my life, and scales came off my eyes. I I didn't sleep for three days. I didn't eat for two weeks. I went nuts. Dude, there's demons and angels. Bro, I'm Christian. And they're, oh, I'm Christian too. I'm like, dude, we just got to play beer pong a week ago. I was playing beer pong December 31st, and January 15th I was casting out demons. Listen, but they were Christian. And that word Christian is sacred in the Bible. I know it's not in our culture, and I know it's just flippant, we throw it around, and it's just whatever. Even though it's only three times in the entire Bible, and two out of three it was pagans seeing people and saying those people are crazy. Those people pray for sick people, those people raise dead people, those people cast out devils, those people are always happy even though their life falls apart. Those people are always giving, they're always they're they it's like they it's like they're from another world. Yet most of you look at me and go, Are you out of your mind, Isaiah? You look like you've lost your mind. Isn't that the point of this? Isn't the point that I lose my mind and get his mind? The mind do you know? Okay, we have a picture of Jesus and it's a really cute picture, but it's not biblical. It's that he rides in on a donkey with a tie-dye t-shirt with a daisy crown. And he comes and sits at our conferences and gets really excited about what we're he doesn't come like that. He comes on a horse. Do you know why he comes on a horse? Because in those those days, you came on a donkey to declare peace, which he came on the first time. Remember, Hosanna, Hosanna. And you come the second time on a horse, which when the king would come in on a horse, they knew it was time to declare a war. And the Bible says Christ comes back on a horse with his robes dripping in blood. When Jesus died, it wasn't pretty. Do you know what the, the true picture of the cross was? It took me two years to finally figure out why Jesus died. Jesus Christ. Hope of glory. The one we worship, the one we do everything in the name of, the one we've served, and the one we've blasphemed his name by our lifestyles. Takes on the wrath of God. He's sitting in the garden people go, oh, Jesus was scared of the cross. No, he wasn't. You're telling me, uh, you know, I know because people that left his disciples got hung upside down singing songs of joy. His, there's, listen, there's men right now being skinned alive for the gospel and they sing songs of joy and they pray while they're getting crucified and they smile at the people hanging them. So you're telling me that the son of almighty God came down and was afraid of a piece of wood and being tortured. You want to know what he was afraid of? Sitting in the garden while the church sleeps, his disciples. In the hour of prayer, they're sleeping. In the hour where God says, wake up. What are you guys doing? The disciples go, we're going to sleep because it's easier to sleep than pray. And Jesus sits in the garden, and here's what he asks the Father. Let this cup pass. And people say, oh, the cross was in, the, what was in the cup? What was in the cup? What was in the cup? Why did he not want to go to the, what was the cross? What does the gospel even mean? What was the cross about? It was about the wrath of God being poured out on his perfect son. And here's the real thing about it. The cup was the suffering. It was a cup of wrath and suffering, and Jesus Christ knew that all, if you were to see, there's no kids in the room, your, your, your daughter getting raped for 2,000 years in front of you, or 10,000 years in front of you, build that wrath up. You'd be angry, right? If you were to see one of your loved ones getting murdered in front of you, I see the law enforcement, we saw the heinous, crazy crimes, and it makes you an angry person. When you see people blowing their heads off, it makes you an angry person. And God looks down on his children for years and years and years, and all of that wrath of all the sin and all the wickedness and all the torture and Herod and Pilate and all these people killing babies and genocides and abortion and pornography and the divorce rate in America. And he looks upon the earth and he has so much hatred and so much wrath that he's going to pour it on humanity. And Christ himself says, so they don't have to bear your wrath, I'll bear it. Do you understand that he did flood the earth twice the second time was on his son with his wrath? He floods the earth the first time because he's angry to kill everyone. And he promises not to do it. So he has to find someone to pour it on. So he chooses his very own son. And he kills his own. Jesus died. And he sits on the cross. And he wasn't afraid of the nails. Come on. This is Christ himself. He wasn't afraid of the pain. If He let them kill him. They said, we're going to kill you. He said, not until I say so. They've been trying to kill him for 20 chapters. They've been chasing him, he keeps teleporting. It says that he was swept away. He was translating like Philip. He was disappearing and disappearing. And he said, tear this temple down and see if I don't rebuild it. And here's why I'm going to ask you to shout tonight. Here's why I'm going to ask you to jump tonight. Because we gather tonight with conviction and with power and with clarity and with vision and with destiny. And we have a savior that bore the wrath of God so we didn't have to. Who took on our our sin. He dies in sin so we can die to sin so we don't live dead in sin. He he doesn't die for you. He dies as you. The Bible says the Son of Man became sin. Sin is not some outside thing we do once a month. Sin is not pornography through Him. It's our nature. It's us. It's our identity until Christ Jesus stands upon a cross and before all of the world, His Father pours His wrath on Him. He could have done it in a dungeon. Why did he do it on Golgotha? So all the people can see. So we can make a public spectacle of the devil. That literally means they'd behead kings and drag them behind chariots through the city. And Jesus Christ does that to Satan. Goes into hell. And the story doesn't stop here. Here's where we stop and go, oh, that's a cute story. Let's all get saved. Let's all go to church. Let's all be Christian. Let's go change our Facebook statuses. Since we've made it as easy as clicking a button. It's as easy as microwaving popcorn. And he goes, No, that's not where the story ends. That's where Buddha's story ends. That's where Allah's story ends. That's where Joseph Smith's story ends. But we are the only people in the world, the only religion. I know we hate the word religion, and I'm not saying that kind of religion. You know what I'm saying. We're the only religion in the world that worships a God who's still alive. And the Bible says when he came out of the grave, he came out as a new creation. So I died in the grave with him. He completes the work. Grace, we can't earn it. That's what grace means. Let me tell you this, though. Grace doesn't cover sin. Blood does. A lot of us get to heaven and go, well, your grace covers. He's going to say, no, my grace doesn't cover. My blood covers. Grace was ability for there to be blood. Grace is the unearned. I can't earn grace, so I can't boast. I can't brag about speaking with all these named speakers and seeing thousands get healed. I can't brag. I can't get up here and say, oh, I'm some awesome minister and seed into my ministry and join me on Twitter and join my list and partner with me. I can't do that. He says no one can boast. That's the most amazing part about the story is I didn't do anything to deserve it. I was 12 years old and I accidentally hung myself. And I woke up to an angel taking me off the rope. I didn't believe in God. I hated God. Grace. I hated God. And he sends an angel to pull me off of a a roof that I was hanging on. Passed out dead. The doctors say, heart stopped everything. And an angel pulls me off. And my neck's bleeding because I hung myself so hard. Grace. And can I tell you why he pulled me off the rope? It wasn't because he wanted to save Isaiah Salvar and get him to heaven. It's because he saw America. He wasn't pulling Isaiah Saldivar off. He was pulling America off. And that, my friends, is why Paul, for five chapters, he talks about grace. And he says it's unearned favor because one man's disobedience, the world was condemned. And through one man's obedience, Christ Jesus, the world was made righteous. He says nobody can brag about it. He said nobody can earn it. And he stops. And we stop there and live our lives like that. And that's what we can continue in cycles of sin. We can sin and sin and sin and fall in the same pit. You know that if you don't watch porn for six months and then you watch it again, you never got free. It's just prolonged bondage and you're stuck in a cycle. And if we keep calling prolonged bondage freedom, we will not see the church get free. So we have to call sin, sin, not an issue. It's not an issue. It's sin. It's sin and God hates it. And that's why he sends his son to become what he hated. And you know what Isaiah 52 says? It pleased him to crush his son. Here's the worst part about the cross. I don't I don't think Jesus was I don't I don't even think the most painful part was the wrath of God coming on him. I don't even think the most painful part was the the sin of the world being born on his soldier. I think the most the most heart wrenching, painful spot was for the first time in humanity he got separated from God. Can I tell you why hell is such a terrible place? It's not because of maggots, it's not because of weeping. And you know Jesus Christ taught more about hell than anyone in the Bible. In fact, if it wasn't for Christ, we would know little about hell. It's not the weeping and gnashing. It's not the fire that can't be quenched. It's not the darkness that you can fill and you can taste. It's that you're separated from God for all of eternity. And you sit there with a very clear conscience saying, I heard the preaching. I went to the churches. I went and God says, why didn't you respond? I heard all the preachings. Grace. Grace. For some reason, the grace movement and the holiness people hate each other. And the holiness people, which would be me, fight the grace people. And they say, well, you can't keep sinning. And they say, well, you're too legalistic. And you say, well, it's not legalism. It's holiness. And you say, no, it's legalism. You're a Pharisee. You're religious. Well, no, we're not religious. We're non-denominational. Right? We're hip. We're non We're hip. No. Grace is the power to be holy. If it was not for grace, we could not be holy. Grace is the power to say no to sex, to say no to the American dream, To say no to the spirit of the culture. And we have let the culture minister to the church. Instead of the church minister to the culture. That's why we can Harlem shake at the altar. And no one has a problem with it. Huh? You want me to preach truth? Or you want me to preach what everyone else is preaching? That, listen. That is why we can gang them style during worship. And nobody cares. I've been to churches. And during the service they're gang styling. Well brother, it's not that big of a deal. You understand what we're really wrestling against? Powers, principalities, rulers of the dark age, spirits, compromise. It's called the world. And we've let the world, guys, this is a family meeting here. We've let the world come into our church and the world sits front seat and tells us how to dance. And we dance for the world. That's why when I come in preaching at services, I go, Well, Isaiah, can you preach? But can you not talk about the Holy Spirit? And can you not mention sin? And can you not talk about the wrath of God? And can you not talk about the fear of God? And can you not talk about repentance? I'm like, okay, well, what part of the Bible can I talk about? Malachi? <laughs> you just removed the whole Bible. <laughs> or a song of Solomon. I mean, what do you want me to preach on? Here's what they're really saying. We like this whole Christian idea, but we just don't like God. We like the benefits, We like the stuff. Most evangelists come up to the altar and you'll get a new car and you'll get a new house and you'll get freedom and you'll get stuff, 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 stuff. And they never say you get God. And the point of coming to God isn't to get things. It's to get God. We don't don't come to God to pull his arm and go, Daddy, can you give me something? We come to God because he's God. And he died. And if he never did another thing in my life, guess where you'd find me Sunday night in prayer? Guess where you'd find me Monday night in prayer? Guess where you'd find me Tuesday night if the revival falls apart in prayer? And Wednesday night in prayer? And Thursday night in prayer? prayer. I'm not playing Christianity. When I begin to look at the spiritual and moral breakdown of the fiber of our nation, I can't play church. I can't just go to services. See, you have to get to the point tonight of saying, I'm not okay with apathy. I'm not okay with lukewarmness. I don't want to just jump and dance at altars, which is necessary. I want to jump and dance at work. I don't want to just worship here. I want to worship. I'm looking for worshipers in spirit and in truth. Not just in spirit, not just in truth, but both. God can trust worshipers. You want to know why worship is so important? Because God trusts revelations with those who worship. Because if you can worship, He can trust you. And when you worship, He pours out revelation. That's why during worship, He inhabits the praises of His people. God shows up when we worship Him. When the bills stack up, guess what I'm doing? We're Worshiping. When my house gets flooded, guess what I'm doing? Worshiping. When my neighbor and my b- mom and my sister die, I'm worshiping. When I'm in prison in India, I'm worshiping. When I'm being tortured in Iraq, I'm worshiping. When I get captive in Africa, I'm worshiping. Worship in spirit and in truth. That means it doesn't matter what you're going through. It means it doesn't matter. You know what Paul said? Paul said, I don't really care what happens to me. Paul, the greatest apostle of all time, he said, I don't care what happens to me. He said, I have I have trials on the outside, and I have trials on the inside. He says, but for me, he says, Paul moved out. Paul moved out, and Christ moved in. And for me to be alive is for the world to know God. For me to live is Christ. You know what that means? For me to be here is for the world to know God. It means when I go to the store, they meet God. Little Jesus. Christians, little Christian, little Christ. That's what the word Christian means. Little baby Jesus. You're God. You are like him. He makes you in his image. In his image. And then two chapters later, the devil lies to you and says you're not made in his image. In the garden, he makes you in his image. Two chapters go by and the devil looks at them and goes, you want to be like God? And they buy into the lie of the devil when they don't realize they were already like God. They already like God and the devil offers you this and money and offers you prosperity and offers you fight and offers you looks. And God goes, I already gave it to you. You're already like me. And, and, the, and the catastrophe in the garden wasn't just that they disobeyed God. It was that they obeyed Satan. You know that disobedience to God means automatic obedience to Satan. And we've made friends, people listen, this isn't a fun message to preach. This isn't, this costs everything to preach the gospel costs everything. They preached, you know, you know, Jesus' message he had, he preached the same thing every Sunday. Everywhere he went, he had the same podcast over and over again. It was repent for the kingdom is at hand. You know, John the Baptist preached the greatest man in all of history. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. It means metanoia. It means change your thought process. It means you can't, he said, you can't see the kingdom because you're thinking wrong. You know what it means? It means I'm the problem. And that is why we die. We die. We, this is people, well, I know, I know, I just need God to change me. You don't need God to change you. You need God to kill you. God doesn't change people. He kills people. He doesn't try to rebuild your broken down home. He builds you a new one. He removes you because you failed yourself your whole life. And he get, I know some of you, I'm just too saved to hear this. I already know this, brother. Well, just clap like you've never heard it. And he. T- listen, he removes you and puts him there. And you, you can try. And that's why so many ministers get burnt out. It's because we're doing it in our own strength. That is why at the Last Supper, when Peter looked Jesus in the eye, he looks at Peter and says, I'm going to die for you. Peter says, I'm going to die. I'm radical. I'm real radical. I'm going to let's do this. Let's die. And Jesus looks at him and goes, Peter, you're about to fail miserably. He says, Peter, you're going to fall flat on your face. Peter, no, I'm not. I'm not going to fall. I preached to sick. I mean, I raised dead people. You didn't see me, Jesus. I had 60 people got healed at my meeting, and I traveled the world. I'm not going to fall. And he goes, Peter, you're going to fall on your face. And he goes, I'm going to go prepare home for it. you. You want to know why you're going to fall? Because you're in ministry, not in Christ. He says, Peter, this entire time, this has been about you and your ministry, and it hasn't been about me. So when the true test comes, and you have to stand up for me in trials. That's why a lot of people are saved until they go through something. Come on. Come on. Say amen to that. They're, they're saved and then they go through something and they backslide. And First John says, you just never met God. You gave your life to a preacher. That's why as evangelists, we are perfectly fine with going into a church, getting everyone to repeat a prayer after us. Five minutes later, we're at IHOP while the church walks home lost. No. It's about knowing God. It's about Him. This whole, listen, this is about Him. We wait, people wait. I want a fancy revelation and a good story. No! This isn't about stories, it's about God. There's one story and it's the gospel and it's the good news that our God got up. And listen, and if that does not excite you, no revelation will, no book will, and no podcast will. And if we began to preach the gospel from the pulpits of the American church, we would see the world saved. And Paul said, there's a perverted gospel that has come into our church that isn't the gospel. And it's filled with the ideas of men, and the carnality of men, and the sin of men. And we have made friends with God's enemies. Samson married the thing he was supposed to kill. Samson fell in love with his enemy, and he expected God to bless it. He expected God to bless the enemy. And Samson just did the whole thing most of us do. Let's just see how much we can dabble with this thing. Let's just see how far we can go. You know what Samson's mindset was? Samson's mind was this. I watched porn one time. I flirted with her once, and I got away with it, and God's still with me. Let me do it a little further next time. I watched it. I did it already once. I already talked to that girl. That's how affairs start. You flirt with the girl at work. You start texting her. You start calling her. Then you start sleeping with her. It happens time in every church I go to. This happens time and it's a cycle. The devil doesn't create. He only duplicates. He does not make anything new. And he keeps the same cycle. And it's the spirit of Samson that has entered our church. And we say, how far can we go with this whole sin thing? How far can we go with this whole compromise thing? How far, we can, how, how far can we go without repenting? And Samson falls in love with the enemy and trusts her. And a lot of us have put more of our trust in Satan than God. We trust the president more than God. We trust the job more than God. We trust our coworkers and our boss more than God. And God's just mm, a part of our life. He's like there over there. It's like that's you know, this is my life, and then there's God over here on Sunday. And I want to ask you is God a purse to you? Is God a watch to you? Is God an accessory or is he your life? Is he, is he, and, and listen, this is not your fault. This is my fault because we just put Jesus over here. The church is over here and then we're way over here and we come to church and we're like, uh, Jesus, could you, if you do come, can you sit in the back? Could, uh, we don't do that at this church. We don't do that in our, I mean, you can come God, just don't be you be like us. So we make an American God in our own image, and guess what? He can only do what we do, and that's why we put more trust in politics than in the kingdom. Um, Jesus, we really want you to come, and like, I love the healing, like, can sick people get healed, but do do we have to lay hands? I mean, can we just like pray for them, like, can we pray later, or like send a text out or something? Like... I mean, I, I, like, I like prophecy and all, but is there a way to like prophesy like in the back room, in the prophetic room or the prayer room? like, not, we're just not that type of Christian. No, you just mean you're not Christian. Listen, you just mean you don't like God. You've sugarcoated it with Christianity, but the bottom line is, you don't want God here because God offends you. And that's why when I begin to talk about lust and young people things, They start looking down and they start looking around and they get real sweaty and uncomfortable. That's the point. Paul and Jesus Christ both said they preached with offense. It's not, a, it's not a pretty message. We had a guy come all the way from Mexico because he had a back issue. Okay? Back problem. I'm going to tell you stories now because a lot of you look like you want to kill me. So we're just kidding. I'm just <laughs> kidding. I'm just kidding. Got real quiet when I started talking about sin. As if we don't deal with it in here. Right? As if the divorce rate is any lower in here than it is out there. We have... How, this is my question How can we ask God for revival Which mostly is just rhetoric It's just talk We all have to talk of revival and awakening No one wants to pay a price Only the evangelist pays the price No, it's everybody And we talk of this revival And 65 million get murdered right down the street 65 million, 950 million since abortion started 55, 65, 55 to 65, no one knows 10 million, 15 million off Who, I don't know, maybe 2 million babies short get murdered in our nation, and we cry out for revival. And then we actually get angry when someone comes and tells us the truth. I was at church recently, and the guy behind me was going, well, doesn't the pastor not have reservations at Applebee's? He's five minutes over. Literally, he's five minutes over, and there's babies being murdered, and the pastor preaches his guts out, and that's what you're worried about, is your reservations at Applebee's. That's what churches become. Meetings? Just going, let me tell you this, gatherings don't change the world, gatherings change people and people change the world burning bushes don't change nations burning bushes create burning men and burning men create ba- burning countries and burning country, and I believe blazing fire can bring the burning bush to this region and be a prophetic sign to our nation that God is God and he doesn't change and he doesn't bow his knee to Nebuchadnezzar and he doesn't bow his knee to Pilate and he doesn't bow his knee to Herod and you can throw me in the fire and know this king Nebuchadnezzar my God is able to deliver me and even if he does Even if he doesn't, I'm gonna serve him. Even if he doesn't heal me, I'm gonna worship him. Even if he doesn't, I don't care if he blesses me, I don't care if he, I don't care if he blesses me or heals me, God is God. And I worship because he's God. And I rejoice in the blood because no devil in hell can stop what he did. In fact, the demons walked him to the cross. The church led him to his death and he turned things around and it's a, it's a dark age in our churches. We've never, we have never lived in an hour of such spiritual wickedness in our churches and in our culture. And we go, well, society kicked you out and the schools kicked you out. I preach this message and, and the church has too. We remove God from the building, and we go on as business as usual. You want to know why we need so much smoke screens and huge televisions at most churches and huge lights and all stuff? Because we've lost the anointing. We have to mask it. So we have to, that's why when I was sitting in this worship set, I was like, finally, God. God's here. Thank you, God, for showing up. Because there's a lot of, let me tell you that putting a cross in front of your building and making it a cool name doesn't mean God's going to come. And we look. (laughs) I like her. Someone actually is listening to what I'm saying. And when the anointing leaves, we can do what Mary and Joseph did and leave Jesus two days journey. They didn't realize they forgot Jesus. That's the story of the American church. And we can either humble ourselves and go back and get him or we can keep on. And for 2,000 years, it it was nothing new. We've kept on going. And that is why preachers come and they have to dance for you. They have to preach what you want to hear and do. And we beg you, please come back next week. I tell people in my revival, I don't care if you come because I don't get paid by you coming. (laughs) Every Tuesday night I go, I, I like God more than the crowd. I tell people, I like God more than I like you. And at the end of the night, guess who I'm accountable to? God. I've upset people. I've upset people everywhere I go. One guy walked out in the middle of my preaching, went to the lobby, talked to my brother and was like, I don't want to be in there because I still want to drink and I still want to cuss and I still want to sin. And I don't like that gospel because he's telling me that once I meet God, all my desires are gone and I don't want to be, I don't want to serve that God. That's why people don't want God. He's offensive. He makes his change. But guess what? There's a world that's dying filled with sick people and devils and they need us. We're the last, we are the last resort. We had a guy fly from Mexico. He literally emailed me, and he started out by saying, I don't believe in your God. It's not a good way to start a message. I'm like, I don't want to respond to this. (laughs) Delete. He goes, I don't believe in your God. I've been to every surgeon. I've been to every hospital in Mexico. He's a wealthy guy. He wasn't poor, trust me. Came in a really nice suit. And he goes, I saw you on the internet. Can your God heal me? Well, brother, maybe. If if he's in a good mood today, if the the angels are singing on key and the worship goes just the right time, God's going to, maybe he'll, right? I go, yes. Abraham, this is not an American church God we're preaching tonight. It's not a counterfeit Christianity God. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the God that re- redeemed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who let Daniel have a sleepover with lions, who removes the head of Goliath. It wasn't Dan- David, it was the spirit that conquered Goliath. The guy who comes over, sa- he comes to the revival. I was like, he's not going to come from Mexico. I mean, who comes all the way to Mexico to Manteca? Manteca's like a bunch of cow, it's a cow city. I mean, who even, most people don't even be like, Manteca, where's that? Stockton. Oh, I know Stockton. A bunch of people get killed there, right? That's what people say everywhere. I go, yeah, but we're going to change that, Amen. What's going to be known for the Holy Ghost. Okay, we're not going to go there. So I'll get all excited. He comes. I'm going to tell you like two stories and we're going to end in a second. And we had a lot of extra time, so I had to babble for a while. So he comes. He comes in. Literally, I, God called me to the Chinese church because I could preach like 14 hours and no problem without water. Just telling you. I'm not going to tonight. Calm down. People are like, oh, God, help me. He comes in. He had told me he couldn't walk, okay? I can't walk, I've been in bed and all this kind of stuff, and I'm barely able to walk. And he goes on and on about this disease thing he had, and I'm like, okay, come. You know, God could heal legs, eyes. You know the same God that can like open your blind eyes, can heal your back? And sometimes we're like, well, God's healing backs. Well, God could heal everything. He could heal backs, he could heal marriages, he could heal disease, he could heal poverty, everything. Like he's cool. He does it all, like everything in one. It's cool. So he comes in the meeting. My wife got to pray for him and another guy. He get, he he looks at them and tells them, I don't believe in this. And after I preach, and if you don't believe in God after I preach, like either I'm on drugs or God's real. Like, someone told me, dude, you actually you you seem like when you're preaching, you're on drugs. That's why I came. Literally, a girl comes to our revival. Most of the people I preach to aren't churchy people. That's why I'm like this. And you're like, whoa, I've never heard this. I preach to worldly people usually. And this girl, this girl, I remember this. She comes in high. Smelling like crazy weed, right? And we'd be like, Bro, sister, sit in the back." This I was like, "You sit in the front, cause I'm about to call you out." No, she come, Listen, she come. Listen, she told me when she walked through our doors, she instantly sobered up. She said, "The only reason I came cause I saw you on YouTube, and I was like, this kid has to be on drugs." She's like, "You can't. How do you? You talk so fast. You don't use notes. You're like, when you talk, I feel something come out of the computer screen on me. This is crazy. No, seriously. She gets saved cause she thought I was on drugs. That's a true story." So listen, I, I did just t- tell you what I ex- meant by that. i have to explain that one later on Facebook. No, I'm just kidding. So she comes, she comes in, he comes in, he looks in the face and says, I don't believe in God. And my wife and some other people are like, you will after this, okay? We can't, in this healing, we're in a healing culture, you guys are like, most churches I go to, I have to spend an hour and a half trying to convince you God heals people, you already know that, I can tell. I can tell. You already worship. You don't sit back and like, well, I don't feel like worshiping because I had a long day. 20-minute t- worship. I understand. You guys worship. I don't have to tell you all that. So, they look at them. If we, have, if we believe that other people have to have faith to get healed, then how do we heal witches? How do we heal Muslims? How do we heal Buddhists? How do we even, do we even witness to the world if we believe they have to have faith? The Bible says that Jesus Christ went throughout the cities healing all. You want to know the Greek word All. All. Well, everyone. He healed all who were oppressed by the devil. It said this. He healed all and many followed. Which means not every person that got healed followed him. That'll preach. The guy gets healed. He's bawling at an altar. You want to know what brings a man to his knees? God. Not pre- I preached my guts out that night. Trust me. He didn't, he didn't respond. He didn't get saved. He didn't want God. He didn't believe a word I said. But when God himself... God doesn't send, like, his neighbor. He doesn't send, like, junior Holy Spirit, like, zero pl- like the old one, like the iPhone, the old iPhone. He doesn't, like, send that and go, like, well, try that out and see if you like it. God comes. Emmanuel, the one in our midst. And God steps into our revival service, touches this man, brings him to his knees, bawling. And I got an email weeks later that he's completely healed. I got to tell you, I got to go, I got to go. Now... We're going to end in a second. Listen, I didn't get into my message. This is why I'm famous for saying that I really didn't. I'm not going to preach a message because I just want to tell you a couple stories. We're going to end, okay? I promise. My team doesn't believe me, but I promise we're going to end soon. I feel like you're a liar. I'm not, okay? I really believe this. I'm ignorant. So the Bible says when the Holy Spirit p- comes upon you, you become a witness. The word is Marthus. It means a martyr. Literally, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you don't become a Christian. You become a martyr. Someone, that, that word in the Webster dictionary means someone who would rather die than renounce their faith. Okay? I'm not going to preach that. But listen, Holy Spirit comes upon you, you. You become a martyr and you are a witness. Not a Jehovah witness. Okay? You that doesn't mean you go door to door knocking asking if they're Christian. They want to pray the prayer and give them a free gift of salvation. It doesn't mean that kind of witness. It means a witness to supernatural things. You receive dunamis, which is dynamite power. To become a witness to the spirit. So we don't go telling people, you should come to my church that has really good lights. And really good Easter programs. No, you say, when I was at service last week, a dead person came in and a dead person walked out. When I was at service, a blind person saw for the first time. When I was at Costco, some girl came out of her wheelchair. When I was at Save Mart, some person's leg grew back. I'm a witness to the spirit. The supernatural, that's what I'm witnessing to. So a lady comes, I had to get that framework done. A lady comes, okay? I'm being really tame tonight, I promise. Otherwise, most of you would have already left. A lady comes in, listen, she comes in. She fell, I hear the craziest stories. I'm like, a lot of times people tell me what happened to them I don't believe them. I'm like, you got hit by a car how many times? Like, serious, I hear these crazy stories. She fell off a two-story stairwell, okay? The doctors say she should have died, she got brain damage, she lost her memory, we have the video online, you can watch it later of her testifying. She got brain damage, okay? She couldn't remember anything besides Jesus Lord, okay? Now you can, cla- that's cool, I know, no one can remove that from your mind, all this kind of stuff, I understand, it's awesome. She was shuffling from being paralyzed in certain parts of her body, she couldn't talk, she had leg braces on, she was kind of just like a vegetable, pretty much. So she comes to our revival. Now people, people don't come to our revival to hear a good message, I'll tell you right now. I'm not saying I'm like a bad preacher. But I'm saying people don't come to get fancy goosebumps to fall over and walk out the same and then go to Applebee's and talk about the world. People come because they know God's there and they know that if they can get in contact with him, if they can get sweaty enough and desperate enough and hungry enough, they might be able to reach up and touch him. She comes into our meeting, goes to the front, and some of our prayer girls, can you, team, can you wave your hands? I have an amazing team here. My parent and my mother-in-law and father-in-law are here. It's an honor to have them here. And my team is more anointed than me, so if you're going to ask for prayer, don't come up to me. Go up to them, okay? I'm going to be here praying for people, but I'm not, like, people think I am like. I have a magical superpower of healing. I really don't. I just believe if you lay hands on sick people, they get healed, and it happens. It's cool. It's weird. It's biblical. So, super biblical, Weird. So um, the Bible, okay, we're not going to go there. She comes in, our pra- two of our prayer girls. Now, we believe when someone gets saved within a month, we want them to cast out a devil, heal the sick, and witness and like be a Christian. Because if you don't do that in your first month, you become a coward. Serious. A, a very big man of God told me that. He says, hey, if we don't get people to do the Christian, to be a Christian. The first month, they become cowards. And the first person to go in the fire, Revelation says, is the cowards. We're not going to preach that because we're not going to. Sitting there, she says that from the top of her head to the soles of her feet, some warmth thing came over her, right? She starts talking at the altar. She couldn't talk before. She starts talking, and she takes off, at our revival, takes off her leg braces, starts jumping around and walking. She Listen, she regains her memory. She lost all of her memory, doesn't remember anything. She regains all of her memory. She regains all of her body movements, all everything completely healed in one second, okay? Listen. That was like a clap you do at like a baseball game or a Taylor Swift concert. Thank you. We're in the house. We're not, we're not at our grandma's house. We're not here to par. We're not. Come on. We're not at the bar. You can clap like you're here at church. At church. Come on. You can do it. We're at church. We're excited. We, are, we have the answer to the world in us. God is in us right now. Okay? That's excited. That's very. If, do you understand when you wake up in the morning, you have the opportunity to change the planet every single day? That doesn't excite you to wake up tomorrow? Okay. She goes, listen, she goes to the doctors. Okay. She goes to the doctors and the doctor starts freaking out, scratching his PhDs. Like how in the world could this happen? This makes no sense. The gospel is never intended to make sense. It was intended to make change. Okay. So she comes and she's like. The doctor's like freaking out, what, you know, running around in his whatever doctors do and wear. And he's freaking out, like, I don't believe this, there's no way. He's getting her x-rays and her CAT scans and her brain scans. He's going, you had a mass here and you, had, you lost your memory, you couldn't talk. You had leg braces. what happened to your braces and what happened to your memory? What happened, how are you talking? He's like, blah, blah blah freaking out. And she's like, Jesus Christ healed me, right? Check this out. The doctor starts freaking out. He goes, hold on, I got to tell my interns. He runs in the other room, grabs his interns. The doctor starts preaching to the interns, okay? This is just two, three weeks ago. The doctor's going, you wouldn't believe this girl. She gave her life to God, the God she serves, healed, healed her. And look at the reports. Listen, one of the interns starts crying, okay? And the intern goes, oh my gosh, my dad's addicted to this, and I've been needing God in my family. She starts ministering in the, in the hospital. She has, she becomes the pastor of her church in Kaiser. And she starts witnessing and preaching to two interns. If you don't have a crowd, you do. If you don't have a pulpit, make one. You want to know where your pulpit is? Your tennis shoes. You want to know where? Jesus didn't get invited to be on God TV or to speak with Reinhard Bonnke. He made pulpits. You want to know where I made a pulpit in my living room? I had no microphone. 200 people there. I'm screaming. Rip it, rip it the key. And people are like, I don't even, I can't even hear you. And they're crying because God does what he wants. He doesn't care whether we say the right things. She starts ministering to her intern. She made her own pulpit. Jesus turned Peter's boat into a pulpit. God will take the little you have and turn it into what he needs. If he can turn what Peter had into a pulpit, why can't he take what you have and turn you into something? That's why he told Jeremiah, I knew you before I formed you. Well, that's so cute, and let's put it on our Bibles and post it on Facebook. No, it's not a cute scripture. He says, Jeremiah, you did it before you did it. Jeremiah's like, you don't understand, God, how old I am. Just hit my four- you weren't even there on my 14th birthday. I'm only 14. And, I'm and God goes, Jeremiah, I knew you before you knew you. And you did it before I did it, and seeing you do it, you did it, and I met you. You want to know the true thing of abortion, why it's so sad? is because we're removing people that just got a meeting with God out of the womb. God meets with them and births them, then we kill them. That's what happens in the church, though, too, doesn't it? God does something in our life, and a week later, we kill what he did. We go back, and we just live normal. You know the greatest sin of our hour in the church is living Normal. Is that we worship a massive, powerful God. Then we go do a nine to five and we don't talk about him. We don't think about him. We don't pray to him. And it's just this whole Christian thing sounds good in America. Yet there's men being died and dying in other countries. Make a church. plan a church at your house. I'm not talking about getting people and getting them to gather. Preach to your kids. How about instead of wasting two hours in front of your television every night with your kids, you pray over them. How about instead of taking our kids for 12 hours in line to see twilight, demons eating demons, we just pray with them. And we just teach them the ways of God. And if you raise your kids in the ways of God, they w- We watch twilight. Okay, I'm going to use it as an example. If you love it, then just repent tonight. It's not a big deal. There's grace for you. You can just repent. It's not a big deal. You, op- you What you see, the Bible says, is what you become. You open up your eyes to witchcraft The eyes are the windows to the soul. You open the windows of your soul and you watch witchcraft and let witchcraft in. You get demonic dreams thinking you're having spiritual warfare. You wake up tired every morning because devils are attacking you. And you're not fighting them. They're attacking you because you got done taking your entire family, opening up demonic portals to spirits and powers and principalities. That's why we don't listen to Jay-Z and Beyonce. It's not because they're evil and we're all Christian and holy and I'm all righteous. No, because Jay-Z calls himself Hova. Because he calls himself God. That's why we don't. And Beyonce talks about and brags about demons possessing her before she gets on stage. And what fellowship does light have with darkness? You want to know the first thing God separates in Genesis light from dark. I gotta tell you one more. A couple two weeks ago, this is a cool one too, so just hang with me. We had a service in San Jose, and a young boy came up with a hole in his heart. And he asked for prayer. So my uncle prayed for him. I like, I, I'm, I'm like super honored that God used me to heal people, but I'd rather tell other people's stories because it's more exciting for me to see other people heal people than Isaiah Saldivar heal people. Because I'm really not, okay, we're not going to go there. So she, he has a hole in her heart. How many people know God can fix a hole in your heart? That's not like a cute Twitter thing. That's like for real, he really could. My uncle prays, we're about to enter in a second. My uncle prays for this boy, and he says, tell me when the doctor's report comes. Okay, I want to know what happens to the boy. Okay, Monday morning comes. She calls my uncle. This was on a Friday night, Monday morning. She calls my uncle, writes him freaking out. She goes to the doctors, okay? The doctors scan the boy, and the doctor starts freaking out. Scans the boy again, freaking out. What the heck happened? There was a hole in his heart. I don't even hear it anymore. The hemorrhage, everything's gone. I don't understand it. His heart's beating fine. Not only is he healed, but there's no damage. The doctors, the doctors in the hallway bawling. The doctor starts crying. Going, how could this happen? And the lady said, Jesus Christ. And the lady begins to hug and love on and gets to pray for the doctor This is the gospel. It's to become a witness to the light. We don't witness about me. We witness about him. To tell people that blind people can see. And dead people can get up. And deaf people's ears get open. I don't give up everything for church. Church isn't worth changing over. Meetings aren't worth changing over. You think I gave up $7,000 a month for church? You think I gave up? You don't give everything up for church. You give it up for God. I had a boy on YouTube. I was preaching Santa Barbara. He comes up to me and he says, I was bedridden in San Francisco. I had a rare disease on my spine that nobody can diagnose. I couldn't walk. I got on YouTube. I'm looking up how God can heal people. I find your video. I watch your preaching and something comes out of the screen while you're preaching. And this kid's from San Francisco to Santa Barbara, and he's up walking. He said, I couldn't walk before. He listened. He said, I was in bed watching your video, and he said, something came out of the screen. He said, something popped out of the screen, touched me, and I got out of bed, and I've been fine ever since. And the disease is gone, and the doctors, because what is impossible for man is possible for God. This is God. God. And the kid goes to Santa Barbara. God sends me to go preach there. He doesn't even know I'm coming. He comes, listen how crazy, guys. He goes from San Francisco to Santa Barbara, which is a very long drive. He goes to UC Santa Barbara. He shows up to a church randomly for the first time. He sits in the back of the church and guess who gets up on stage? Kid from YouTube. And he comes up to me crying, saying, dude, you don't get it. I'm healed. And you know it's sad? I have a hard time believing this stuff. I prayed for a man dressed as a woman recently, and I looked the person in the eye and said, you don't deserve this, and I don't deserve this. I said, and God's gonna show you how much He cares about you. I don't care what people say about you. I don't care how people pick it and say they hate this and we hate that. I don't, that's not the God I serve. I said, and God's gonna heal you and God's gonna show you that He looks beyond skin color. He looks beyond our our dress, whatever we wear, however we talk. And He sees your heart and He's gonna touch you to show you. And a month later, I get a report 100% healed, multiple diseases. And we serve a God who does what He wants. I'm pleading with you tonight. Wake up. Wake up. Give him your life. Not the prayer. I'm not saying come up and say the prayer. I'm saying give him everything. Take him from being an accessory to you. He is your life. How, do you want me to say it in the Greek? He is your life. He's not over here on Sundays. He's there Monday and two. He's not, God does not concern, God does not, He's not into one night stands. God's not into friends with benefits. He doesn't just be intimate one day and the next day you can sleep with the world. He told the Pharisees that you're living in adultery. And they're like, what are you talking about? Here's what he was saying. You're sleeping with other gods. And when the true love of your life looked you face to face, you didn't recognize him. Because you'd been sleeping with the world and your job and your career and your life. You're going to turn the lights down. We're going to pray for every breathing person and everything in this room. I want you to hear something, and I'm going to get it out in five minutes. Parents, at 9 o'clock, get your kids and come back. Holy Spirit doesn't stop because we stop. He'll keep going. Trust me. People say, well, don't grieve him. But by... no, just go get your kids and bring them back. He's going to be here. Trust me. There will come a day. Listen, look at me, everybody. Where we get judged. Okay? I know you don't like hearing this, and we don't preach this, but it's in the book. Every single one of us will stand before God who the Bible says fire burning his eyes. We will stand before a lover that has been shunned his entire life. And the Bible says in Matthew 25, Jesus teaching the people, there will be a separation that takes place on judgment day. And let me tell you how it's going to look. There's going to be crowds of people, and your family's going to be with you, and your friends are going to be with you, and it's going to be all good and dandy. And all of a sudden, the Bible says the angels separate the people. And your coworkers, and your loved ones, and your family members begin to get pulled to the left side. And you go, what? Where are they going? And the Bible says the sheep go on the right hand of God because he will not count the righteous with the unrighteous. And the unrighteous go on the left hand side. And when we begin to stand in a crowd and we begin to see our friends and our co-workers and our unsaved loved ones get pulled to a place and we know where they're going. And guess what? They're not going where we're going. You want to know what's going to hit you? Regret? Shame, sorrow, uh, picture this, you're, in, you're standing in the realm of eternity, you're no longer in the temporary world, a hundred years is, is a second in eternity, and you're standing in the realm of eternity, and your unsaved loved ones and family members begin to get pulled to the other side, and there is nothing in heaven or in hell that can stop what, what's about to happen, and all you're going to come to mind is, why didn't I tell anybody about this? The only thing, it's not going to be, well, I had a good car. Had a nice house. No, you're going to say, why did I not share this gospel that is such good news? And as you begin to see your family and your friends line up on one side and you line up on the other side and you begin to enter the pearly gates, guess what? They're not going to be coming with you. And we're not going to go back after that. And God's going to bring you up to the judgment seat of Christ. And he's going to judge your works. Well, brother, don't talk about works because we're not about works. Works are important. The Bible says we are created for good works. If if intimacy that doesn't produce works, isn't intimacy. And works without intimacy isn't Christianity. Signs and wonders and miracles without intimacy is witchcraft. And we get before the king. And the Bible says everything we have is tested by fire. Which means this. Your car, your job, your college degree, your house, your property, your sports, your media. Everything you spent your life on gets brought before the king. And fire comes over in a glimpse of a second. Everything you spent your life on is gone. And the angel goes and picks up all the dust of the remains of your hundred years. And the angel puts the dust in your hands. And you look at it and God says, that's what you spent your life on. God says, that is what you chose. You chose that over me? Isaiah, you spent 18 years waking up in your throw up. You, I graduated college at 19. You spent your life on that? And you went to church? Why didn't you listen? There were nations. Look at all these flags. Those are nations in darkness. And he's going to say, that's what you spent your life on. I hope you're happy with that. And let me tell you, you might make it to heaven by the skin of your teeth, but you won't have a crown when you get there. And Ravenhill said, you'll look at a man wearing your crown for the rest of eternity because you didn't respond to God not to an, listen not to an altar call not to emotions i don't believe in hyping people up and getting you to get all emotional and come to the altar i don't do those kind of altar calls but if the holy spirit's tugging on your heart right now and inside of you saying i got to change something if we're not seeing breakthrough in our cities maybe we got to change something you know the definition of insanity doing something it not working but continuing to do it over and over and over And I'm saying tonight, get delivered from the American dream. Get delivered from the culture. See, I'm not going to live by the standards of the world anymore. Prayer team, you can come up here. So I'm asking you tonight to make a decision. We're drawing a line in the sand, and we're saying, if Baal be Baal, go serve Baal. We're saying, if Baal is God, then serve Baal. But if God is God, then serve him. Stop playing games. Some of you young people, you're playing games with God. You are playing games with God. And you might be able to put off your college test, but you can't put off God. There will be a day when you answer to him. You will answer to this man that we're talking about. And can you picture the heart of a man who has shunned his entire life for a pile of dust? God's going to say, you walked away from me for a pile of dust. You didn't spend time with me for a pile of dust. How do you feel? A pile of dust. The Bible doesn't say it'll be all glorious. And there will be few people that are excited on judgment day. And it will be glorious for some of us. And you want to know why? Because the man judging us is our father. The man judging us is our lover. The man judging us is our friend. Can you get these lights down? Even if they have to go like pretty much off, that's fine. And I want to say, don't walk away tonight without getting touched from God. If If you walk out of those wooden doors without meeting this man for real, You've missed it. You've missed it. Well, Isaiah, you just got to preach legalism. Legalism is what you do for man to see. Holiness is what you do for God to see. They look the same, but they're from two different spirits. This is about holiness. This is saying, God, I'm not even going to argue about sin anymore. I'm just not going to do it because I found somebody that I fell in love with. You want to know why I don't drink anymore, why I don't smoke anymore, why I I didn't have premarital sex after I got saved, why I threw out all my worldly music, and why I don't go see worldly movies? You want me to tell you why? Is it because I'm all holy and righteous, and I float on a cloud all day, and I heal sick people, and laser beams from my eyes? No. I'll tell you why. It's because I met someone. It's not because a preacher told me I couldn't do it. It's not because a pastor told me I couldn't do it. It's because I lost the desire when the fire came over me. Blazing Fire Prayer Team, you can line up with us. So I want everyone in this room to close their eyes. And in 15 minutes, parents, you need to get your kids and we'll minister to you and you can get them and come back. And we're going to be here until the last person gets prayer. We don't blow in and blow out. We're not. I tell people all the time, there's enough stars on Hollywood Boulevard. I don't need one. I don't think I'm some kind of movie star like most evangelists that we've created this culture. I want to ask you a couple questions tonight. I want to ask you, who do you love? And I want to ask you, why are you here? What are you saved for? I know you're saved, but for what? And I believe God is going to respond to us tonight, and he's going to tell us why we're here. Why we dance, why we shout. It's going to produce into purpose. It's going to become something. And we're going to pray for sickness in your body, and I'm going to call you to stand in a second. I'm not going to call you to lift your hand or any of that. We're going to call you forward. Sickness in your body, demons, depression, anxiety, fear, I don't care what it is. If you're lost and you need God or if you want to get saved and you're a Christian in here. We're going to call you forward tonight. And we are not going to believe for a cute religious prayer and a blessing so you can put put something on your Facebook when you get home. We're believing that God Almighty he's in here and he's been here. We didn't bring him here, he's been here. He wants to touch you tonight. And we're going to get out we're going to get out of his way. We are going to get out of his way. I told the pastor, "Pastor, if I don't preach tonight, I don't care. You can you can if it keeps going let's just go for it. I don't I'm not concerned with promoting and all that. And there's t-shirts on your way out. Buy here here's my promotion. Go buy a t-shirt and a CD support what we're doing. Amen." I don't, I don't have 30 minutes to talk about product when there's souls that need to be saved. I'm going to call you forward, the worship team, you can play or it doesn't even matter honestly whether there's music or not. So, i doing this off emotions. And let me just tell you this I know, I've talked to your pastor, and he doesn't change the way he talks because he's at church. Your pastor, I want you to hear me. His heart is to see a region see revival. And he's not going to quit. He's not going to back down. He's not going to slow down. He's not going to shut up. And he's not going to be still until he sees his region and get saved and get changed by the power of God. And this is serious, guys. Yeah. And I'm saying this support this vision. Serve your pastor. Get involved. Become the church. We can do this. We can do this. We can change this region. We can change San Francisco. We can change San Jose. And without hesitation, without waiting for the person next to you, and without waiting, I want you to come forward now. With no emotions, with no hype, with no fancy lights, I want you as fast as you possibly can to rush forward to this altar. And we are going to lay hands on you, and we are going to believe for healing. Are we able to get some music on? It could be a CD or an iPod. It doesn't even matter. And I want you, prayer team, hold on real quick. Don't start praying yet. I'm sorry. I'm going to instruct you guys real quick. And Blazing Fire prayer team, we can get you guys to line up as well. I want you to tell the prayer team what you need, and we're not going to tap you on the forehead and leave. We're going to pray with you, and we're going to battle with you, and we're going to believe that God's going to heal cancer tonight. We've seen seven people this last month get confirmed healed of cancer, and we believe God wants to heal cancer tonight. So let's do it. Let's pray. Jesus,